A video of a man holding a sign saying 5 million views or he dies goes viral. The time is running out while his sister and wife try to find him. Then a second video of the same man holding a sign stating I kill women starts circulating the internet. The mass hysteria switches to online hate. 5 million views have been reached and his time is up. Will he end up dead and why? What is the motive? You always have to question it. You always have to question it. That's why we are always here. Mini-sodes, main-sodes, long-sodes, whatever you want to call it. Today, I'm dropping you into the Netflix show called Clickbait. There are mixed opinions on this one online. People are either like flabbergasted in a good way. They're like, oh my god, that was such a plot twist in the end. That was such a shocker, such a great show. Or they're more in like, yeah, that was a plot twist, but like, okay, why was that a plot twist? And I kind of more and more thinking about this show belong in that second category. So by the end of it, you let me know where you belong. And if you have watched it, well, then this is a safe place to discuss that in the comments on YouTube or just like by interacting with me on the socials on at that pod because i want to know your opinions on this one like is a plot twist a good thing just for the sake of the shock effect or would you have rather it being somebody that we expected and maybe it made more sense for that person to be the culprit now you have spoiled everything you have spoiled everything you know but i mean they kind of probably know that 5 million views will be reached in a video like this because people, Maya, because they understand how internet works. Well, anyways, the first episode out of the eight that this show contains starts off with his sister. So each episode is titled surrounding a character and kind of follows the character that it is titled after. And here we meet Pia, who is Nick's sister. And actually we meet Nick, who will be the guy holding up a sign in a Ransom-like video that we will see later, even though no Ransom will really be requested. It is all about going viral and how people can make that happen. Well, these two are at a dinner table and Pia kind of lashes out and leaves the house and she lashes out at her brother about like getting their mom the wrong present Anyway, I didn't even pick up on that. Like, I literally had to read up on this online because I sped through this part because I was like, oh, every series has to have that fucking troubled character. Every show has to have it. And of course, here we meet them within like five seconds. <laughs> Such an insufferable fucking character. So she ruins the whole evening. I don't even know what it was. Was it Thanksgiving? Was it Christmas? Fuck knows. She gets out and she heads off to a club by herself. She's wasted and then drops the freaking toilet no, drops the phone into the toilet not the other way around Maya. she drops the phone and then like gets home puts that thing into the rice and then goes to sleep completely wasted and then the next day she wakes up and you think okay she might be an artist like something logical where you know you go out and then the next day you can sleep, you can cure your hangover. No, this bitch is a nurse. She literally has to wake up early, goes to her job. And here she's kind of like either drawing blood or something from this young dude called Vincent. And he shows her a video that has gone viral in the meantime. To her dismay, the video that she sees is of her brother. And her brother seems to be kidnapped, being held somewhere. He's kind of having like some bruises and cuts on his face. And he's holding a number of different papers, you know, kind of like placards, kind of like cards, right? And the cards state that if the video reaches 5 million views, he is about to die. So the question is, is this a prank? Is it real? She immediately runs into the school where we are going to learn Nick worked, but also his wife Sophie did. 
And here she briefly encounters this receptionist called Dawn, and she asks where she can find Sophie, but Sophie is in the middle of the lecture. But she tells Dawn that, like, it's urgent, she needs to speak to Sophie, so she literally just, like, barges into her classroom and tells her to get out. And at this point, when she shows Sophie the video, the video is already at 9,000 views, and it's only been a couple of hours. So they decide to go to the police and report Nick as missing and also explain to them what is going on. Hopefully they can track the video. They go to the police and we meet Detective Amiri, who is going to be the person taking the case. Immediately the energy is off. You kind of get a sense that maybe the two of them either have some chemistry or have had something happen in the past, you're like, oh, please, don't, in the middle of this interesting plot, like, introduce this troubled character and her sleeping with somebody else. Like, I don't need it, I don't want it, I usually do, but right now, not the moment, not the time, not the place. Luckily, they don't, like, you know, sleep together, like, at least straight away. So, Pia goes back home to get her fucking phone out of that rice and apparently because this is a magical solution towards everything the phone starts working and she realizes she has a voicemail from her brother Nick so once she plays it in that voicemail Nick apologizes for their argument and he says that there's some stuff that is going on and that him and Pia should talk soon So, at first, you think, like, okay, quite a normal apologetic message. Like, you know, they have just argued, they have ruined whatever dinner they had. But sure, they're gonna talk soon, he must be going through something. However, in the context, it is a bit eerie, because a second video pops up on the internet. And in this video, Nick is still sitting in the same place, seems like he's being held hostage... And he's using one hand that is loose to hold up another sign. And this sign reads, I kill women. What immediately Pia, Sophie notice and they tell the detective is that the handwriting isn't his. So it seems like the first number of cards from the first video was Nick's handwriting. But this has been done by a perpetrator. I don't know how they know, because I was thinking about this as, like, one of the main flaws in this whole thing, because everybody in my family would know my handwriting, right? Because it's atrocious, like, it would stand out against everybody else's family handwriting. But, again, if it was, like, a ransom kind of note, or just, like, somebody in some kidnapping situation asking me to write something up, like, how do you know when it's all, like, block capital letters? Somehow, they do. And the first video, again, I think it is the first video, because don't fucking clarify this now. Is it all two videos combined that need to reach, like, 5 million views? We still think it's the first one. And, of course, because now... As I mentioned, the mask hysteria kind of changes towards hate and debates and Reddit threads popping up everywhere about like, oh, what did he do? Well, clearly he deserves it. Well, that first video hits about 1.5 million views. Meaning that at this rate, Nick at best has 24 to 48 hours to live. That whole day, Pia and Sophie are discussing a few things, like... At first, they're discussing that voicemail. Pia plays it to Sophie, and in context, again, Sophie says, well, if you go to the police with this, it's just gonna sound like he might be going for something, and that something has to do with killing women, so it doesn't really go into our favor, so don't go with it to the police. Then journalists have already honed in on this story, so they are badgering Sophie constantly, and she is kind of trying to deflect, thinking like, This is all going to get resolved within the day. And then also they're trying to break into Nick's laptop. And apparently the password is the name of his dead hamster. So they're again thinking like this isn't somebody who is desperately trying to find something. So Pia goes to that guy Vincent that she was drawing the blood from. And apparently he is some sort of hacker, coder, whatever he is. He has the knowledge of computers and the internet. And he's super hooked onto this case because he's a bit of a loner. So he's already been on all of the Reddit threads, on all of the internet sleuths discussion boards. 
and he has discovered this tip from Norway. This detective or armchair detective from Norway figured out from those two videos online that the camera was at a different angle. So in one of the videos he had spotted a sticker behind in the corner of the video. At the police station, Detective Amiri and like other detectives on the case are like, oh my god, this is really good, guys. Like, you have clearly done our work. And she's like, okay, well, cool. Now we have this sticker. We should know what van it is. It seems to be a delivery van. Let us figure it out. And just as they do, and just as they figure out which delivery van he might be in, 5 million views have been reached. And the episode ends on a cliffhanger with the police reaching the random delivery van and opening up its back. You don't say its back, Maya, or do you? Because it is an inanimate object. Not really inanimate, it moves. Moving on (laughs) to the episode 2, because as you could have guessed, because it is only episode 2 out of 8, they don't find the man inside. The question is, have we just been clickbaity? Because it's always eerily there in the background, the concept of the clickbait throughout this whole series. It's like, okay, you truly believe that this is it, that this is going to answer all your questions, and then boom, nope, nope, we drop that, and it leads you to a completely different storyline. And this storyline is completely focused on our detective, Amiri. We will learn during this one that him and Pia actually didn't have a history in a way where you would find it like acceptable for the two of them to be awkward about one another. They have matched on a dating app once. And then Pia, who clearly is one of those people who loses her phone constantly or just drops it into fucking toilets. Listen to me. You're either the person who has either dropped or lost or broken their phone exactly like Pia here a a million times or you're a person who literally is like can somebody just do something to this book because nothing like ever happens to it like me like do you know every single time i bring it to the toilet okay it's on me with me at all times on that shitter and it has never gotten into it i don't want it to happen i don't want to foreshadow that happening i'm just saying like how how do so many people just like drop it into the toilet drop it on the street it completely smashes have it stolen so many times some people have a life maya and you don't so you don't understand this but don't you find this creepy as fuck because like i was just trying to understand the chemistry between these two characters at all times i was like i can't because why do you remember who you swiped right to like you don't surely i've been on tinder before being married you surely don't remember every single person you swiped right to and matched with like okay maybe they have left an impression maybe there was a chat what the fuck like it isn't worthy of this being so so weird well apart from the weird sexual chemistry going on Amiri is actually looking closer into the wife, into Sophie, into all of her social media fields. And everybody in the office is kind of giving him hard time for him actually trying to do work, which like, what the fuck, it's his actual job. Because we find out that this case might for Amiri be all about climbing the ladder. As Amiri is looking into Sophie and is kind of spying on all of her social media feeds, well, Pia finally decides to stop being an actual insufferable pain in the ass and starts collaborating. So she goes into the police station and gives him the voicemails from Nick, plays them for him because she doesn't know whether or not they might actually lead somewhere. And, you know, as he's questioning her, was there anything out of the ordinary ever like that she has noticed in the past couple of months you know how was his marriage with Sophie she says like the marriage was pretty great like it's all fine there was this one thing though and that was that Nick showed up at her work and he seemed to have bruised ribs so he showed up to her sister's work in the hospital for her to check them out And, of course, she was freaked out because those bruises didn't look like they matched the excuse that Nick has given her. 
and that was that he got those bruises by playing basketball with the other people from school. They don't have much time to dwell on this information, though, because Amiri finally gets a tip. And at this point, 48 hours have passed. There was no ransom, you know, 5 million views are long gone. So we kind of, as the audience, know that this isn't good news, that Nick is probably dead. And that they are more likely than not searching for a crime scene. And such crime scene has just been reported. And as the two of them rush towards it, they realize it is actually just a mannequin with Nick's face on it that was planted on the washes of this shore. And usually in the true crime stories, they always think it is a mannequin and it ends up being the real body. Not here, but they find his bike as well at this spot. So they think maybe this was the spot that he was abducted from or that whoever knew Nick orchestrated this whole thing just to mess around with the public and just to get media attention and maybe also just to have the time to actually dispose of the body somewhere else. At this point, Amiri and the rest of the police force are getting all of these tips, including the mannequin washing up on the shore, because of a geo-nicking app that has been developed already within 48 hours. And this app pointed them to the mannequin on the shore that was reported and pinged as a notification. And then the next notification that they get is about this CCTV footage. And once it is played in the police station, Amiri sees Nick in the bar, sort of just like getting drinks with this man. They don't seem like too friendly. And then the two of them get up and it seems like they get in a bit of a scuffle. Like this man kind of pushes Nick against the bar and Nick tries to retaliate. So... The barman here kicked both of them out once Amiri goes and actually speaks to them. We find that out and this can maybe be tied to Nick's kidnapping and the bruised ribs that he reported to Pia at the hospital. In the back of Amiri's mind, he is still thinking affair, right? So the two of them have met basically for Nick to maybe threaten this man and that is how he had gotten bruised ribs because Sophie must have been having an affair. So his plan is to go further through her social media feeds. But also it occurs to him that because where the mannequin washed up, maybe in a secluded area, sort of like remote woods area, but they're also connected to the shore, they might actually find Nick's body. Because at this point he knows that it ain't good. Like they are looking for him dead rather than alive. So he convinces his superiors to search this remote wooded area and that is indeed where they find Nick's dead body. So now he has to go to Pia to break the news to the family. And after that we see Detective Amiri going into the police station. We know that he is getting promoted. Everybody is congratulating him on it. But he knows the case isn't closed yet. So he does what he said he would which is he resorts to stalking Sophie on the socials yet again. And there he spots the guy that he has spotted earlier in that CCTV footage. It is another teacher where the school where Sophie has been teaching. And it definitely looks like an affair. Which leads us to the next episode, which is titled The Wife. They at least don't wait for too long for us to find out that indeed Sophie has been having an affair. While Nick's body is still in the autopsy room, the detectives question Sophie. And at first she's just denying the whole affair. She's denying that she knows the man. And then she says she does, but he was at the school and he left about six months ago. But she isn't saying that the two of them were anything more than friends. 
However, we see the flashbacks of the two of them being kind of a bit more than friends. That there was some really special, strong bond there between the two of them. And then we also see Sophie leaving that police interrogation room, going back home and mentioning to her mom that this man might be being looked into as a suspect. The lover's name is Curtis. He won't be with us for too long. <laughs> so ominous. So fucking ominous. It's like I just decided to kill him off in his head, so I'm not sure if you really need his name, but here it is. So we are kind of left to wonder why the fuck does the mom know? Like, why does she know? Sophie eventually does break the news of Nick's death to the whole family, to the two kids that the two of them had together, and that evening Pia decides to crash at her place. So, Sophie, what does she do? Does she go to sleep and the whole house is asleep? No, she decides to go right to the house of the man that she's apparently only been friends with. Like, bitch, do you know where all of your friends live? No, you definitely lovers, you definitely were doing it. So she goes to Curtis's house and uh, she basically wants answers. Like, it's not, you know, the way that you might be thinking that she just wants to do it or whatever. She just wants answers from Curtis to see whether or not he was actually behind this, but this is not how you do it, because then you look suspicious as fuck, Sophie. So, just at the moment that she is there, well, the police barges in, and they arrest him for the murder of Nick. The detectives bring her in again for her to finally be honest with them, and in all of the flashbacks, we see the moment that Sophie fessed up to Nick that she was having an affair, and how he just looked completely shattered. He just looked devastated. But then, right after, that shock turned to Nick being extremely angry and even forcing himself on top of Sophie. So we kind of assume that maybe he assaulted her then and there, that she didn't really consent to what was going on. And in every single scene, you're thinking of Nick as this bad guy, where those allegations might be ringing true, because that is what you are led to believe during this whole time. So once Sophie leaves that interrogation room yet again, just as she's walking down the street, she keeps noticing the same car following her. And as she does, she kind of decides to confront the situation to see what the fuck is up. Like, is this person connected to Nick? Who are they? And this woman gets out of the car and introduces herself as Emma Beasley, Nick's girlfriend. She would tell Sophie that Nick actually had an affair with her. That he was on this dating app for about two years, but the two of them have been chatting for months. And that she met Nick as Danny, but that he did say, you know, he had wife and kids. So eventually she managed to track him down and track her down. So, you know, she has seen on the news that this man that she has been dating has passed away or has been killed. And finally decided to come here and, well, speak to the police and see if she can help. And that is exactly the problem. The fact that Nick seemingly was on this app for the past two years. But Sophie's affair only started and, well, terminated about six months ago. So if he was getting back at Sophie, well, that would have started maybe a couple of months ago. It wouldn't have dated about two years ago. So the whole underlining theme again is, well, is Nick a dick? Is he... Has he been cheating with Emma only? Has he been cheating with any other women? And at this point, the receptionist Dawn actually introduces Sophie within that school to this volleyball star called Jenny. Jenny, who is part of the team, well, she says that Nick was actually close to some of the other girls. However, at this moment, Nick's colleague and one of his best friends from school called Matt Edlin, who was the coach of the volleyball team, well, he jumps into the conversation and says, you know, girls, we need to go back into whatever the PE room, the class is about to start, so we don't fucking know what happens here. 
what is the connection with the volleyball team. And we won't find out for a very long time because that is crucial information that they keep towards the end. But what we do find out is why Emma is here. Because we see her in the interrogation room speaking to Detective Amiri. And she claims that Nick and her were soulmates. This woman, first of all, I'm so glad that I made another friend watch this. Connie, if you're listening to this, you're a star. Listen, because for the whole series, I was thinking, where do I know this bitch from? I know a younger version of Emma Beasley. And it is because she was on CSI. She was a miniature killer, which is one of the best episodes that I plan to cover for a mini-sode later on. So now I have spoiled it because... (laughs) clearly told you who played the miniature killer. Doesn't matter. You will forget about it straight away, okay? So, anyways, we see all of these flashbacks between Emma and Nick. So, we are led to believe that the two of them have had some passionate-ass affair. She is saying that two of them are soulmates. She worked as a health insurance agent and he was constantly chatting with her. She would receive these voice notes from him. She would get gifts on her birthday from, you know, Danny that she now knows is Nick. They seem to have been going on holidays together. There are pictures of them literally like by the beach. You're like, well, I mean, this woman is either extremely delusional, like, to some next level, or this relationship actually fucking happened. And according to Emma, she's just here to help. Because, you see, Danny, slash Nick, and her have actually even been engaged to be married. After seeing all of the pictures and all of the proof that Emma has of this relationship, all of the chats, the voice notes, well, they have no other option but to believe it. So she leaves the office and something still seems to be keeping Emma there. So she decides to go to the school. And this this next bit is so bizarre because both her and Pia go to the school and they both go there to speak to Matt, the volleyball coach and also one of Nick's best friends. The coach, Matt, gets to chat with Emma and you get the feeling that just as with any relationship, Nick would have mentioned his best friend to Emma and they both agree that Nick was one of the good guys. So, as Emma is just leaving, she's also like cleaning up the graffiti that Vandals left about Nick, because of course the news have spread and everybody is just trying to trash his image online and offline, as it seems. Well, Pia reaches the reception, where the receptionist Dawn tells her that, oh, well, I've just seen this random girl, I know nothing, there's this fucking random that has just spoken to the coach. So, well, Pia heads in to see Matt, and Matt tells her, well, yeah, Pia was just here. And Matt tells her, well, I didn't know about the affair until this woman literally just showed up right here and now, so you better go and chase after her. This whole freaking episode is literally Pia just learning about Sophie's affair, her brother's affair. She's like, why was everybody having affairs? Like, so fucking unnecessary. She eventually catches up with Emma, the mistress. And Emma tells her, you know, how her and her brother were actually close. She doesn't want to harm the family. Like, she understands he has the wife and the two sons. And Pia, of course, isn't buying it. She just thinks, like, there is some other agenda this woman is here for. But they exchange numbers, and that is how that whole situation ends. But that evening, Emma, who has checked into a hotel in this place, well, she gets a call. And it's one of those threatening calls where, you know, the person doesn't actually introduce themselves. They just wait until Emma said hello, and then they've said, I've been watching you. I know the room you're staying in. Leave town, or it won't end well. So Emma loses her shit. She hangs up that phone, she packs everything up and starts driving away, completely stressed, crying, having a mental breakdown in this car. And that is when the car hits against something and gets knocked off the road. The next scene is Emma 
after she has survived because in the end she's a miniature killer okay she knows how to do this she knows how to play a psycho she's in the hospital and pia is visiting her and at this point vincent and all of the people working on the case have dug up nick's dating app history and they realized that this seemed to have been a pattern. This wasn't his only dating app. There were actually three dating apps that he had. He would meet a woman, pursue some form of a relationship, sell them dreams, and then deactivate that profile after that relationship would finish. So Pia literally shows her the proof of that so that Emma gets some closure and just kind of like disappear out of their lives. And Emma does, for a brief moment. She goes home, but then she starts digging even further. And she finds out about this other woman, this other supposed victim that Nick had dated through one of those dating apps called Bendy. And this woman is a painter, so Emma decides as her closure she will go to Bendy because Bendy has advertised a painting that was literally a portrait of Nick. So Emma goes, meets Bendy, she kind of just gets a bit of an insight about the painting that it was, you know, one of the exes and of course Mandy wants to get rid of it, whatever, whatever, so Emma buys the painting and then decides as the sign of closure to burn him and as a sign of closure she also decides to burn him metaphorically as well by agreeing to do an interview about Nick and about him being a serial cheater. With this interview, Emma pretty much sealed his fate, even though it is post-mortem kind of fate. We are led to believe that all of the cue cards that Nick has been holding up have been true. You know, the fact that he hurts women, that he possibly could even be a potential killer, that we don't yet know what that card was all about, but we will eventually find out because there is still a lot to unravel here. But also, it gives a precedent to the whole of the next episode. It is called The Reporter. And it is single-handedly my favorite episode in this series. Because it is so unhinged, it really showcases you the journalism spirit. And also explains to you why I studied it and then never showed my foot into a newsroom. Because this is the level of competition that I just don't have within the way this guy portrayed this role, just kudos to him, because this is my favorite fucking thing to watch. The whole point of view of this episode is that we are in the shoes of a journalist called Ben Park. He was the guy that interviewed Emma, and now his boss would well like him to be up for a challenge to get in touch with Sophie to try to get an interview, basically, to counteract what Emma said. Ben, of course, completely logically, takes this to heart and he's like, at all costs, by all means necessary. So he chooses to dress like a delivery driver, like, you know, fucking Hermes or DHL, whatever. He gets that uniform of a delivery rider of Amazon and breaks into Sophie's house, trying to just snap pictures, look around for anything that then he can expose them with. But P and Sophie were there, so they eventually spot that Ben is literally inside of their house and, well, try to kick him the fuck out. Ben doesn't stop there, because of course he doesn't. He goes home and, with his partner, he sets up a dating profile to find Nick's. And, of course, that will escalate and he will find all of Nick's dating profiles. But then he goes to Nick's workplace, to the school, and here he learns from one of the volleyball girls called Jenny that Nick seemed to have argued with another person on the volleyball team, Tara. And this girl, Tara, quit the volleyball team a week after that argument. He then tracks Tara down, but Tara tells him that Jenny doesn't know shit. So this doesn't seem to lead anywhere, but we are still led to believe that there is something going on when it comes to the volleyball team. Some pretty little liar shit, okay? Some, like, Azra and Aria... What, what was this guy's name? <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, a student-teacher relationship that was supposed to be on the hush-hush. Kind of, in retrospect, would make sense with everything else. 
But this day, so far, has led Ben, the journalist, nowhere. And once he returns to the office, he realizes Sophie went to his boss and told them that he actually broke into his house. So Ben gets kicked off the story. But of course, he's not going to take this to heart. He's gonna turn this around and needs to find something now for him to be in charge of this interview as well. So Ben goes back home to his partner and by this point they have opened so many dating apps and eventually have found one of Nick's aliases, one of his dating profiles. And this profile led them to a woman that he was chatting with called Sarah Oxley. Here we are led to believe that they have used some, you know, illegal hacker kind of help to find these messages and we also aren't privy to what they found because that is going to end up to be the shocker, the cliffhanger, the clickbait of this whole episode. We just somehow know that Sarah died and we are led to believe that Nick was responsible for her death. With this information, instead of going to the police, reporting this as a lead because it would have helped the freaking police considering the whole card saying I kill women from that video, Ben instead tracks Sarah's brother down. And they immediately realize, oh, this guy is creepy looking, he must be responsible for it. This freaking series plays on so many stereotypes that it's actually unbelievable. Once they figure out who the brother was, well, Ben logically breaks into the brother's flat because, of course, he somehow, with this hacker's help, knows the address as well. Inside of the brother's flat, he starts snooping around because the brother seems not to be there yet. Eventually finding this phone that would end up being Sarah's phone in one of the drawers. And just in the nick of time, his partner tells him he's coming home looking scary as fuck. He was just doing grocery shopping. So we see that the brother walks in, he literally sits down to watch TV and eat snacks, and at that moment Ben tries to sneak out, but obviously the brother rushes after him, but doesn't manage to catch him in time. And then the episode comes to an end with Ben approaching his boss and saying, well, you know how you removed me of this interview? Actually, look at this information. You're putting me back on. I'm doing the interview with Sophie. Suddenly, the interview airs on TV. There is the reenactment of the conversations that Ben found on Sarah's and Nick's phones, in which Nick told her to do it. Go ahead, I don't care. As those transcripts are read to the public, Ben slides them over to Sophie so that we see her reaction on air. And while we see Sophie's reaction, we also have a close-up of Sarah's brother, Simon, reaction. And he, sure as hell, isn't happy. And this leads us to the next episode that is unsurprisingly called The Brother. Episode The Brother focuses on detectives finally actually talking to Simon because yet again the work has just been done for them. I don't know what the fuck they were doing this whole series, but clearly not actually following the internet sleuths pathway is not actually following the clues that they were supposed to follow. So Amiri questions Simon about Nick and he says that his alibi for that day was that he was fishing with his buddy Daryl. But then we are looped in on the text messages between the brother Simon and his buddy Daryl in which Simon tells Daryl not to answer his phone, not to come back today, not to go home. Basically kind of signs of like, hey, being questioned and you should stick by what we agreed before. We also see these flashbacks between Sarah and her brother. How she was suddenly so happy, so enamored since months ago, how she seems to have been chatting with this new guy, followed by her being completely distraught, saying, why can't I be like everybody else? Why can't I just be happy? crying, feeling depressed, and eventually calling her brother before she ended her own life. And after that, we are supposed to believe that Simon, the brother, took her phone away and then found the conversations between her and Jeremy, which was Nick's alias in Sarah's case. Simon seems to have the strongest motive out of everybody, and we see him using reverse image technology in order to track the pictures of Nick down. 
And by doing that, he finds out that Jeremy is indeed Nick because there was this school picture that was published of the volleyball team at the time and he was in it. So he managed to track Nick down with his buddy Daryl, promising, of course, Daryl that he won't get caught. So Simon and his buddy Daryl track Nick down as he was riding the bike back from school and they inject him with something in the syringe. As we are getting these flashbacks, we also know that Detective Amiri was communicating with Pia about these new clues which led Pia to searching their profiles online, their Facebook profiles, and she found out that Simon actually posted a selfie on the day that Nick went missing. So it all seemed to be leading into that forced alibi. And when she spoke to Detective Amiri about this, they make out and you're like, not in the middle of it, for fuck's sake. This police already isn't doing shit. And it's like really awkward, but he doesn't like pull away. So we're like, okay, just wait. Just wait for this weird relationship. They will probably not have a second season. So, you know, there really isn't much point to it. Because of the messages between him and Daryl, because of the phone that was found in Simon's flat of Sarah's, they have enough of a probable cause. So they arrest Simon. And we are looped into what actually happened to Nick. Because, indeed, it was Simon and Daryl that were responsible for that video. They injected him with a syringe, as we already knew, They dumped his bike in the middle of nowhere and then forced him into this van, tied his hands and then released one of them, forcing him to hold up the signs while they recorded it. We see that Nick is clueless, but especially after the second sign, the I kill women one, he's really shaken and he starts pleading with Simon out of the two of them, saying that he has nothing to do with this. Like, he doesn't know why he's there, but he sure as hell didn't kill anybody. But, of course, this is when Simon shows him the text, like the messages on the app between him and his sister, where he quite literally told her that he is not her emotional support, her emotional support helpline, and that she should just do it. Nick, finally realizing what this is about, tells Simon that he would never do something like this. He would never put anybody through anything like this. Because Pia and Nick's dad actually committed suicide when they were young. And then because he is so shocked by this, he asks him for the pictures of the dating profile. And as soon as he sees them, he knows that they have been photoshopped. He says, like, those are the pictures with my wife and me. So somebody has cut Sophie out of them and then clearly photoshopped Emma Beasley into these pictures. Like, I know nothing of this. Like, I didn't chat with any of these women. After both videos were recorded, these two, Simon and Daryl, get out of the van because Simon wants to discuss it in private with Daryl. It seems like, you know, he is doubtful. He might believe him to a certain degree, but Daryl, of course, doesn't. So he is just saying, you know, we're gonna get rid of him. Like, he clearly was the one messaging his sister. I mean, you know, it is the dating app that proves it. And as they're discussing it, Nick manages to release himself from the binds because it seems like they have left only one of his hands, like, tied to the freaking chair. And he jumps out of the van and starts running away. And Simon has a gun on him, but it seems like he's very hesitant to shoot. So Daryl runs after him, they both run after him, but we are led to believe that he managed to escape. And here I was like, yeah, sure. So we are just going to believe that they let him run away and somebody else killed him because he ends up dead, right? So it was like, okay, sure, yeah, of course. Like, I mean, it was either Simon or it was Daryl so that it never connects to one of these guys. It makes all the sense to the audience, to us as viewers, the person with the motive, regardless of this being Photoshop, being faked, even if that is true, this is the person who actually had the motive to kill Nick. So it makes the sense of the police, he is brought to jail, but then we see one of Nick's sons, called Ethan, the older son, messaging somebody called Al. And you're like, who is this? Is this a catfishing situation all over again? 
because he is asking this L person to send him a picture of her. And you're like, oh god, this isn't over yet. Fuck knows where this is gonna go. But this is on some deeper level. Because what if the person who was behind Nick's dating profile now has a bigger game at plan? What if they are catfishing the whole family and getting them all somehow involved? What if this is like some next level plan to get them all killed? That is where my mind went. And that leads us to episode 7 and none of that happens because episode 7 clarifies a couple of those things. We pick up with the whole family sitting at the dinner table where it all began and Pia is also there and Pia is telling them that she has actually spoken to Simon and that Simon said that basically the conversation he had with Nick convinced him that Nick might have actually been targeted himself because of the whole thing where their dad died by suicide so that Nick wouldn't have done it himself that he wasn't possibly responsible for Simon's sister's death and that that is why he let him go so that he left that van alive Sophie of course is kind of like against this whole conversation saying that well the police need to clear him you know they need to find something else and we see our boy Ethan again chatting with somebody L2005, some weird-ass handle. And when Pia drives him to school the next day, she also notices that he is chatting with somebody. So, you know, she of course asks, like, oh, is it a girlfriend of yours? And he says, I mean, kind of, like, yeah. And Pia is spooked as shit. She's like, you met her in person, right? Like, after what happened to Nick... Come on, like, you can't actually be catfished. And he's like, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But this now sets some panic into Ethan, finally, because he actually hasn't met this L woman in person. So he just keeps insisting on meeting with her. And eventually this L person caves in and says, like, she has extreme levels of anxiety, so she doesn't really socialize, and she doesn't really go out of the house. But we see him going into hers and like her dad is there being like oh yeah you're here for l yeah of course come in i was when i tell you that out of everything that was going on during this series nothing would have convinced me that this person was not a catfish when he actually walked into this person's room and she was real i was like the fuck like, the fuck? This was all... It's all clickbait, okay? The underlying message is always there. So now he's speaking to this person who is his age, this girl with anxiety issues, who is more comfortable online, and he is chatting with her about this whole situation as he was during those messages. She smartly concludes that the only person who actually said everything was real, described everything in detail, said that they were voice notes and that she met Nick in person and had pictures to prove it, pictures from their holidays, was this woman Emma Beasley. Basically, if she was lying for any reason, then everything falls through and everything else lines up that Nick wasn't behind his dating profiles. And she suggests to Ethan to call Emma himself. Because, you know, Pia, Sophie, like, it's quite different. Emma might not want to speak to them, but she will speak to Nick's son if she was actually in love with Nick, whether or not that was delusional. So right there, in this not-catfishes girl's room... Ethan calls Emma and we see her on FaceTime. He plays the voice notes of his dad's voice and she says, no, that wasn't Nick. So Ethan asks Emma, honest answer, please. (laughs) I need an honest answer. Have you ever met my dad in person? And Emma finally caves and says, no, I invented the whole thing. Boom. Just like that, you're even more confused than before. The online girlfriend, Elle, records all of this conversation. And while this is happening, Pia went to speak to Amiri. But Amiri is 
full on dickhead mode. He's like, I mean, not really. I can't really do much. You know, the case is wrapped up. We have a person behind bars. And Pia is there like, we still have like zero answers, my man. Even if he was responsible, like still nothing matches up. Like, where did he go after it? Why would anybody do it? What about all of the dating profiles? So she wants to tie one loose end. And she goes back to the school to speak with some of the volleyball students, some of the volleyball team members. She finally gets to speak with Tara without that creepy coach slash best mate of Nick's lurking around. And Tara tells her that the reason why she quit the volleyball team wasn't the fight with Nick. That this other girl, Jenny, completely invented that gossip. Nick was actually the person who tried to keep her on the team. Tara was actually fighting and having issues with her ex. And this ex posted some explicit pictures of her online. And Nick was just actually in the wrong place at the wrong time while she was facing her ex. And that ex just happened to be the volleyball coach. The mad guy. Nick's best friend. So Pia is pissed and she wants to take it up with Matt. So she goes into his office. Rather, before actually managing to barge into his office, she speaks with the receptionist, Dawn. And this bitch is like, I mean, he's not there, but I I can let you in. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And you are like, all of the red flags are flying up in your head. Like, why is she just letting her in? What the fuck? So as she's let in, Pia jumps onto Matt's computer. On this computer, the coach has tons of folders. Some of them are the folders of Tara with the explicit pictures. And a lot of them are named after Nick, after Sophie, after all of the dating profiles. So, of course, we're like, okay, so Matt is the culprit, right? It makes sense. Nick stood up to him and this was his ex and this was some sort of revenge kind of crime. There is a motive there, I guess. With Pia taking proof of all of these pictures, she heads to speak with Matt because nobody's reasonable here. Nobody goes to the police. They just die straight into danger. And we see her facing up Matt who doesn't really look aware of any of those folders any of those pictures, anything that she's showing him. So is he bluffing or is he actually not the culprit? On the other side of town, Sophie just made the decision that her and the kids are going to move. The kids were getting bullied at school. She was, of course, not having a great time being the teacher at the same school. The gossip was just flowing around, everybody calling them names. So she decides they're going to move move town, move schools, move houses, start fresh. And then she tells that to Ethan. Well, Ethan shows her the confession that he has recorded from Emma. So to try to get the mom to maybe like go to the police with this, try to clear the dad's name and maybe they don't have to move. But as this is happening, Kai, the younger son, has overheard this conversation and he heads up to Ethan's room. And on the computer at that point, he sees a message from his online girlfriend, Elle. And we are looped into Elle being in charge of locating the catfisher's address. Because after Emma's confession, they realized all of them must be connected. And maybe the person was actually sending all of those messages from one IP address. So we see Kai opening the latest message from Elle containing that address. And it wasn't just the IP address, but the physical one. And he goes into his room, takes a baseball bat, and Kai is now walking down the street on his own after he snuck out of the house. And that scene leads us to him coming to the door of the catfish. Who is it gonna be? Who is Nick's murderer gonna be? Remember the receptionist that was mentioned a couple of times (laughs) during this whole series? Remember Dawn? Yeah, the person that let Pia just 
accidentally find all of those pictures on the coach's computer. Yeah, the one that just happened to be there, working at the same school, be knowing both Sophie and Nick and the coach, finding the right person to blame it on. Yeah, she opens the door to young boy Kai. And as soon as she does, she makes him feel comfortable. She's like, oh my god, aren't you Sophie's son? Yeah, put the baseball bat down, just come in for a drink, and then I'm gonna bring you back home. Me and my husband are just gonna drive you back. As they welcome Kai in, and Kai here, of course, doesn't suspect anything, and he also doesn't know why that address was really sent to his brother, so why is he there? But fuck it, he goes to the same school, so he knows Dawn from reception, right? He doesn't fucking suspect that she is the person who killed his dad. But Dawn and her husband, Ed, are exchanging like some significant glances. So you are led to believe, like, okay, Ed is in on it as well, God damn it, what has happened here? So they give Kai some beverage and the two of them go into their bedroom and you see that Ed is pissed. Like he's grabbing a gun, he's prepping himself for like the end of the game. He's prepping to end it all and he's blaming Dawn for her goddamn games, for getting them into this mess in the first place. We get a flashback here of Nick's first day at work. This is when he met the receptionist Dawn And he just isn't really tech-savvy and doesn't really want to bother with these things. So he tells Dawn to just put, you know, the name of his dead hamster as a password and just, like, sync his phone to it and to just take care of it because he is in a rush. As the phone and the laptop are being set up, she sees on Nick's phone messages from Mandy Harrison, the artist woman. And Dawn immediately thinks like, okay, well, the name isn't Sophie, so this isn't his wife, so this is also a dating app. Okay, he is cheating. And we get the background of Dawn's own marriage that seems to be kind of sad to a degree. Like, her husband loves her and all of that, but, you know, they're like this middle-aged couple. There isn't much sexual intercourse going on and he seems to, you know, just come home, watch TV, do whatever, drink a couple of beers and then joins her in bed. They both turn their backs to each other and just fall asleep. So it doesn't seem that the marriage is fulfilling her. She seems to feel lonely and this man here has so many girls just chatting to him. So she copies probably his whole phone and everything to hers, to her devices. And then we see her from her own home in the room as her husband is in another room watching TV or just at work, starting to chat with Mandy as Nick himself. What Dawn didn't know was that Mandy thought something was off. Like she realized that maybe either Nick has changed his mind or, you know, that somebody took over his profile. She didn't obviously know that it was this random receptionist that was chatting with her. But she knew it was off, so she stopped chatting with Nick. However, this didn't stop Dawn, who now got this rush. She just got this adrenaline rush and started creating different profiles, different aliases for Nick on all of these different apps. And then we see Dawn chatting with Nick during what we believe were the holidays, so about six months ago. And she just finds him in the office and he seems to be drinking inside of a school, middle of the day. She's like, hey, aren't you spending your time off with your family? To which Nick confides in this random woman saying that Sophie actually had an affair in the past. From this point on, if anything, it has all just escalated. Dawn has now started chatting with multiple women at a time. She was the one who developed this whole relationship with Emma Beasley, and even she used a voice distorter in order for Emma to believe that she's speaking with a man. And on one such night, as Dawn is on her laptop chatting with multiple women online as Nick or one of his aliases, including Sarah, including Simon's sister, her husband just walks in, says, I'm home, but we know that he is suspecting something as well. And as she goes to prepare his dinner, he opens up the laptop and finds everything and gets pissed. 
he needs her to stop doing this and he actually decides to leave for the night. He goes and sleeps elsewhere. So now, of course, this woman who is already lonely and delusional and pissed off goes onto her laptop and this is when she's going to send that final message to Sarah that is going to bring her over the edge. The one saying I'm not your personal therapist and the one that ultimately led Sarah to commit suicide. If it wasn't for that whole chat with Sarah, if it wasn't for that message, possibly this woman would have never actually been discovered. But that chain of messages set certain things into action. And this is why we are here, because Sarah did commit suicide and this led her brother to go through her phone to find out about Nick, which led to Nick being kidnapped, the whole video going viral, and that is finally how we are here with everything being exposed. And as for being exposed, Sophie opens up Kai's room and realizes that her son isn't in bed sleeping. So she rushes to Ethan. Ethan finally realizes, hey, I was expecting this message from Elle. This is the location. Just loops Sophie briefly into it and police, Pia, everybody heads to Dawn's house. But by this point, we see Dawn and her husband Ed driving the car with Kai in the back seat, going somewhere to some remote location. And Dawn from the front seat snatches the phone from Kai. So we realize that this kid is in danger. With the police at the location realizing Dawn and Ed aren't there and pulling up these different locations that they have registered to them and finally headed towards one of them, towards the caravan, we get one final flashback with Nick actually fleeing the scene, fleeing the van from Simon and Daryl and going right up to Dawn's house. I don't know how he knew where she lived, but somehow he clocked it inside of that van and went to speak to her face to face. We see Nick entering the house and starting to argue with Dawn, trying to find an explanation as to why did she do it. And he's kind of like shaking her, trying to figure it out. And as he does, Ed just strikes him from behind on the top of his skull and we see him dropping onto the floor bleeding and the two of them at that point decide that well now they have a dead body that they need to dispose of. As the police is approaching this caravan Kai manages to jump out of the window and he's just lagging it with these two running after him. The police eventually manages to apprehend Dawn and she is now going to be used as the leverage point to basically convince Ed not to do anything to Kai because Ed has actually caught up to the young kid and now, well, he is holding him, you know, gun to his head, all of that. Eventually, Dawn manages to convince him that everything is going to be okay, that everything is her fault and that, you know, he is not going to go down for this so that he should let the boy go. Kai runs towards the police, towards Sophie, towards Pia, and he is finally safe, but this is when Ed decides that he is not gonna go down for it, and he um, uses that gun to kill himself. So in the end, Dawn is still the lonely fucking bitch who didn't have to do any of this. The series ends with Nick's name finally being cleared, that volleyball girl Tara finally filing a complaint against the coach Matt because he wasn't all that innocent, he just wasn't a murderer, he was just a fucking creep. And Pia and Sophie are finally okay to move on, you know, whoever cheated on whomever, which probably according to everything was only Sophie, they decide to let go of the pain and move on. The end. What did you think of this one? Because millions of people watch this one, so I kind of need to discuss it with somebody. It just, it was so good and just so unsatisfactory at the same time. It pissed me right off. Because A, it made you think about everybody as like a weird stereotype 
as like a suspect in a weird way. Literally every single episode, I was like, the sister, so the sister did it. The bro- I was like, no, the, the son, the son, yeah, the son definitely killed his father. <laughs> Literally every episode, I was like, I mean, that makes complete sense. Then you have the motives behind the coach and then the brother of Sarah's and you're like, yeah, I mean, that makes complete fucking sense. <laughs> and I kind of thought it should have been the coach in the end, because of the complaints, because of Nick getting involved, and obviously that could have ruined this guy's career, all of that, or the brother, because, like, who the fuck was supposed to believe that he just let Nick go, but then it wasn't, and I was just like, (laughs) you can't do this to me, I understand having a twist just for the sake of it, but it doesn't leave you satisfied in a fake crime case. I understand this is not a true crime, but, you know, it kind of has to get you to buy into it as if it were true crime, and it doesn't. Because could it have happened? There was just a lonely woman out there who was dissatisfied with her marriage, saw her opportunity and realized, yeah, why not? I mean, this guy is already chatting with these women, why don't I do it myself? Sure, sure, it could have happened, but it doesn't give you a satisfaction when you also don't know much about her. You just get a bit of a context for like a couple of flashbacks and then it doesn't tie in as well as the rest of the story. What did you think about this one? Let me know. Let me know in the comments or at me at the socials and vent about clickbait with me. Or did you maybe love it? Because there were parts where it tied in perfectly. Like the plot line, the direction, how it was shot. All of that was great. Like I don't regret watching it. Like I still think it is an amazing show. I just wasn't really buying into that ending. So you let me know what you think. And uh, I shall be seeing you guys on Monday with another mini-sode that is going to be even weirder because we are having two other mini-sodes while I prep one big episode 100 for you. (laughs) Evil laughter. Bye, fuckers. See you soon. Just when you least expect me. Okay, you clickbait little bitch. Bye.